this new year, please consider supporting Glass Tire. Because we're a nonprofit publication, all of our coverage is supported by viewers, readers, and listeners like you. If you would like to support our coverage, our news writing, or anything else on our site, please go to glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck, and today we have a special guest. This is uh, to a lot of you listeners. It is probably introducing uh, a writer you may have read before. She is currently serving as Glass Tires guest editor. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Leslie Moody Castro. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Leslie Moody Castro, and I am an independent curator and writer. I've been contributing to Glass Tire for many years, many, many years. Um, I'm happy to be here today, and um, we'll talk a little bit about this, but I'm also the current guest editor of Glass Tire, which has been fun. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, people who have been reading Glass Tire for a while may recognize your name. Definitely if people are in Texas, um, you've done a lot of projects in Austin, but you've done many projects elsewhere too. Um, could you just give us like a sense of your background and, you know, where you grew up and which, which is a little bit of what you're writing about right now. Um, but just give our listeners a sense of who you are and what you've done recently or what you've been working on. Yeah, so I actually was born in Edinburgh, Texas, which is right on the border. Um, and my family is from San Benito, which is sort of a small town just north of Brownsville. <clears throat> and so I grew up in Austin at the age of four. My mom moved me to Austin. And so I have this like multiple place thing that I like sort of grew up with. Essentially, I would travel back and forth all the time, spend summers and, and Christmases with my family um, in South Texas on the border. Um, so I have this like dual relationship with place. Like I, I've never been in just one place. Um, and I moved to Mexico city in 2004 and I've been there basically ever since. Um, I kind of moved back to the States for grad school for a few years and worked at art house at the time. Um, and is since 2012, I've really been traveling frequently back and forth between, um, my base in Austin where my parents are, where I am right now, actually my office, um, and Mexico City. And so those are like my bases. Those are the places where I travel from, where I have like a closet. <laughs> so I don't have to take a suitcase back and forth. <laughs> and like from Austin, you know, I'll travel to Dallas or I'll travel to San Antonio or basically wherever I need to go for the job. Um, right now, I have um, taken on a project at New Mexico State University, which will happen in 2023. And I'm, I'm still deciding what that is. And have temporarily moved to Las Cruces to teach at New Mexico State University for the semester to figure out what I want that project to be, essentially. Um, and I'm in residence at a place called Casa Otro, which is in the small sort of adjacent town of Mesilla in Las Cruces, in this beautiful adobe house that is like in the historic downtown of Mesilla. And the house was built in the 1850s or something. It's gorgeous. Um, and so, yeah, I'm becoming a desert person, which is very strange because I love humidity and I love the jungle. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a big turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me, Leslie, a little bit about so you, you've been in Mexico City for a while. And I feel like Texas is only people knew about it before, obviously, but Texas has only recently started to realize how close and amazing Mexico City is. And you having lived there, you know, permanently at first, and then, I mean, on and off for the last, I mean, how many did you say since 2004 so for the past 18 years yeah um yeah tell me tell me kind of how you've seen the texas mexico city relationship develop i'd be interested to hear also you're a person very much like you said between spaces so i'd be interested if that relationship has developed in two different ways from the texas side and from the mexico city side or from the cultures on either side rather yeah, it's really it's really interesting what's happened and like to sit back and watch it has been kind of wild. Um Mexico is like the place to be right now. And it's funny because it's like, you know, people from the art world will come down and be like, Oh my god, Mexico's amazing. Like they discovered it. <laughs> well, the art the art fairs, the what, Zona Mako or whatever is happening right now. Like that's I remember I remember in like 2017, um, I remember seeing like a photo on Instagram of a commercial flight. It's not like it was a private plane. It was a commercial flight and it was packed with like 15 people that I recognized from the Houston art world, because all of a sudden they were like, we're going to Mexico city for this art fair. And part of it was a Houston airport had just opened more direct flights to Mexico city. So I think part of it was travel accessibility, but also it was like all of a sudden everyone once or twice or three times a year was going to Mexico city. Yeah. Yeah, it was really wild. And it was like, it was that thing of like, oh, we discovered Mexico. But like, no, Mexico had an amazing, incredible and thriving art scene before, <laughs> before Houston or New York or Los Angeles came down. And, and it was, it was this incredible community of like thinkers and of, of practitioners who were like collaborating with one another. This sort of collaborative spirit has always existed there. Um and and yeah, it was thriving. It was it's an incredible place. It always has been. And even though it wasn't as connected on the U.S. side, it was definitely a place of the other, right? Like like the art world didn't really um, the art world didn't really like consider it a hub in many ways because the hub was like New York or Los Angeles or London or whatever Western cities. That's a really interesting parallel between Texas and Mexico. Also, it's like people don't think of Texas as an art world hub, so it's kind of like two outsider sister places that are realizing the potential that they each have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I like the, the history of art history goes through Houston, right? Like there's no, especially Latin America, the history of art history in Latin America runs through Houston and Austin at the Blanton. And so it's, yeah, it's like living in two places that have been considered peripheral for a really long time has been, it's been, crazy to watch the trajectory of Mexico. And like when I moved to Mexico, Roma was not the place to live. And now it's like the hub where everyone wants to be. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, yeah, it's just been really weird. And like I, you know, Zona Maco has been an active and thriving fair since what, like 2004, I think, uh, maybe 2003. Um, it started in Monterrey first and then it moved to Mexico City because Celica, the director, is from Monterrey. Um, so yeah, there's like, there's a background <laughs> that existed before people like said it was cool. Um, 
and that same thing is happening in Texas. It's just, it's just, um, it's not happening as quickly. And I think COVID kind of accelerated it in some ways, but also stalled it in other ways. Um, people came here because they wanted space, right? During COVID, like having a backyard so that you could be outside and not like in your cramped city apartment would like was definitely a draw. Um, but in other ways, like I think that the communities, especially in Austin, I can't really speak for other cities as much, but um, the draw has been to like focus on on your region or your place so that, you know, you're providing opportunities for artists like that are local that really need it. And, you know, budgets are kind of tricky right now. And so, yeah, I think that some ways it's accelerated in some ways it's kind of it's paused a little bit, which is interesting. We'll see what happens in the next few years. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear a little more about and for our readers to learn a little more about the things, the projects you've done recently, because I've seen you in the last couple of years. You were uh, the Galveston Artist Residency's first curatorial resident, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm usually the experiment for things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I feel I feel like you've kind of developed you've developed that as a little bit of a persona, which is fun. Maybe <laughs> it is because it's like a blank slate, right? Like, you know, I, the Galveston artist residency, we're like, well, what does a curatorial residency look like? We don't know. And what was so great about that residency is like, I was kind of coming off of the Texas biennial for that. And like, all I wanted was just to be on an Island. Like I just wanted to be at the beach <laughs> and I did produce a project, which was awesome, and I loved it, and I brought an artist in from Mexico City, and he was, like, he just, like, fit in with Galveston so well, um, but it was so great to just be in this environment that was chill, like, Galveston's just chill and kitschy and funny and, like, an island, you know, like, it's literally the end of the highway, <laughs> Um yeah, so it's fun. And, like, I'm the experiment right now in New Mexico, for example. I'm, like, the first curatorial fellow that the art department has brought in. And so it's kind of like, well, what do we – what do I want to teach? What do we what – do what do the students want to learn? Like, what kind of projects do I want to produce? How do I want to guide that? Um, it's fun because it's just a blank slate. You're early in your semester there, but I feel like – this this may have changed since I was in school, but – when I was in school, I went to the University of Houston, there was like a class called Thinking as a Curator that was really kind of my only foray, besides talking to curators and working at other nonprofits, my only foray into actually thinking about how to put a show together or to do that in an academic setting. Do you find that because so much of your practice, it is writing, but it's it also, I mean, a core tenet of it is curating. Do you find, again, you're not that far into the semester yet, but how are students reacting to the idea of learning about curation? Because also, I feel like a lot of people would say to some extent that being a good curator is a lot about, A, knowing your space, but B, also just about instinct. Like, I don't think anyone is like, well, Walter Hopps was a great curator because he went to school to be a curator. He went to Bard's graduate. You know, it's like Walter Hopps had an instinct about art. And that's what everyone still talks about to this day, that he just knew how to hang a show. How do you find teaching or approaching teaching that to people who are trying or who are interested in it? That's a really good question. Um, I kind of have shaped the class a lot like I shaped my practice. Um, so what I asked them to do was 
I wanted them, I wanted to know what they were interested in before I actually developed the syllabus. And this, I have to say too, that this is my first time teaching a full semester. Um, so it was a learning curve for all of us and it has been, which has been fine. Um, so I asked them to give presentations about their practice and I asked them to tell me what they wanted from the class. And then from that information, I was able to pull together like how to guide, like a syllabus on how to guide them through what they wanted to learn essentially, which was collaborating, putting together a cohesive exhibition and a body of work. Um, and yeah, or like finding a space, organizing a show, like, which was cool. And those are all things that I also do in my practice. And so, yeah, it was actually like the way that I shaped it was really about them and what they wanted to learn rather than the other way around. There are so few professional development classes on curating. And like, we do have these things called professional practice courses, right? But like, I think it really like none of like it's funny because it's like there's not an I always say this there's not an HR in the art world there's no one way to do things and we're all figuring it out as we go along right and so I was in class yesterday actually and I told them it's like oh I'm just gonna tell you all a secret and make sure you spread this secret none of us know what we're doing <laughs> like none of us I love to tell those secrets the 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 couple times that I've given like a guest chat or a guest lecture, I don't even want to call it a lecture, but like if I, when I've been invited in to talk to college courses or to talk to students or to do studio visits or if anyone ever reaches out for a studio visit who's in school, I'm just kind of like, I want to I want to talk really plainly and honestly with you because no one really did this with me. And granted, I'm not an, I'm not an exhibiting artist trying to seek that out, but I feel like I've had enough dealings with the people who manage exhibiting artists and with exhibiting artists who have unfortunately become bitter or, you know, everything like that, then I'm just kind of like, I want, let's, let's talk about what this is and what this really means. <laughs> right. I mean, it's really like, we're all figuring it out as we go along and then we're teaching each other what we figured out. Right. And so <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, and I think with, with this generation of young practitioners, you know, they've grown up with things like social media and we talked about this yesterday as well. And social media being what it is and cancel culture and all of that stuff, like the pressure for them is extreme, I think. And like the pressure to not mess up is extreme. And I really have been trying to kind of emphasize that like messing up is how you learn. It's called a practice, right? <laughs> like nothing is finite. And, and we develop and we evolve and we learn from our mistakes and we go back and like, look at the shows we did 20 years ago and cringe a little bit. Um, but that's part of it. And so, yeah, I think that that's one of the things I've really tried to emphasize is like, just take a deep breath, <laughs> put your foot out there, jump off the cliff, mess up a little bit, and none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, yeah, that's just been, that's been the biggest thing I want to emphasize as well is like, it's, it's okay to mess up. And we do it. We all do it. Yeah. Well, before we uh, get into you uh, talking a little bit about being Glass Tire's guest editor for the next few months. Um, talking about a learning curve. <laughs> always, always starting something new. Um, I, I would love for our listeners to hear a little about the Texas Biennial show you did, because all of the Texas Biennials that have um, happened, uh, you know, since the first one in 2011, 13. I should know this. I don't. I think it was 11. I think it was 11. Right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Uh, but 
all of the ones that have happened since then, and it's not always a biennial, sometimes it skips a year and it alternates, sometimes it's a pseudo triennial, but um, all of them have kind of taken on their own tone. And that's very much informed by the curators who uh, run them or the curators who are chosen to run them. Um, so I would love for you to talk a little bit, bit about that before we get into glass tire. Yeah. Um, that, Oh gosh, that project was incredible. Um, I think that I can talk about that project for like an hour by itself because it had so many components. And at the time, the biennial was kind of coming back. Right. And so it was this it was this show that had been on hiatus for a little bit or a project that had been on hiatus for a little bit. And and so it was really about like, how do we bring this back and how do we how do we reconnect with with our arts communities around the state? And so. I did a road trip and <laughs> at that point in time, it was 2017. I think that like I had been training for that road trip my whole career. <laughs> like it was like my itinerancy, the travel had been kind of speeding up a lot and I was, I was on the road a lot between places a lot. And so it was like, no, I can do this. Right. I can do this. And I don't think a lot of people, I think a lot of people actually um, didn't think that I could finish it because it was insane. Like, it was seven and a half weeks of being on the road with a break in um, for 4th of July. And I did it in like two trips. So basically we went up North Texas and came back around East through the Valley and back up through San Antonio. And then after that was like up to the Panhandle, West Texas and back around through Laredo and San Marcos. It's not until you fully do something like that, that you realize how big Texas is. Like it wasn't until I started working at glass tire and traveling regularly that I was like, Oh, if I want to go to Amarillo from Houston, I'm going to be on the road for 12 hours. A long time. A very long It's crazy. Time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it yeah. really is. Um, and I was on the road with my friend, Sean Gallagher, who's also, um, we co-founded CoLab together and we're still in the directorship of CoLab with um, three other people. But we work so well together and have done so many studio visits together over the course of the 15-year collaboration and friendship that we've had. Um, and so it was... Honestly, it was just like it, it was <laughs> it was such a godsend that he came with me for most of it because there were days where we had like six and seven studio visits back to back or we were driving six hours. Right. And like we had to tag team things um, because my brain would literally fritz out and I would say something in English and Spanish and I didn't understand because I was tired. And so he had to step in and like, yeah, there was a lot of that. But it was incredible because what I was able to do was visit all of these art cities and visit with arts communities and and leaders in these arts communities and really get a sense of like what was happening around the state and just how connected the state is like to be in Lubbock and to talk about an artist that I was going to meet in Laredo you know in a few days um because he actually taught in Lubbock and had like a community of friends there and yeah it was just like to see the networks and like to connect the dots all over the state was pretty incredible. Um, Cause like you said, it's an enormous state. And so at times it feels like it's really disconnected, but it's actually not. Um, and the networks are like less than one degree. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, and then like slowly as I started getting into the road trip and as like, uh, it, you know, it gained traction on social media, people were like, Oh, Oh, she's doing it. Oh, it's happening. Um, and then I started getting requests to go to more places. So originally we decided to go to the places that we had partner organizations in and I wanted to visit the partner organizations and then like plug in studio visits, which was what we did. Um, and then I got an invitation to come to Corpus Christi. So I added that in, I got an invitation to go to 
Amarillo with John Rivette, who we've become really good friends with. Um, and so I added that in. There were like two or three places that I kind of tacked on along the route that I had been invited to. Um, and so it just kept growing. And like, honestly, <laughs> if I didn't have the deadline that I had of like the seven and a half weeks, I could have been on the road forever. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had to set some parameters and like just really decide, you know, if I would I would add in a place if it was already on the route, um, which was great. And yeah, and in the end, I think I did like 300 studio visits. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's something. <laughs> yeah, it was like a marathon. It was really crazy. I will never do it again. <laughs> like, check that box. I will never do it again. Um, but it was really like a defining part of that project. Um, and it was, it was a really, um, it just, it brought community together, which was really wonderful. And then we had the opening in that like furniture store, which I loved. Because what I did not anticipate was that, um, we had like 1500 people at that opening and which was bonkers. People came from all over to be at the show, both artists that were in the show and artists that I had done studio visits with, but didn't make it into the show. Like everyone, there was an energy around there that was really exciting. Um, but the benefit of doing it in this, in the storeroom of this furniture or sorry, the, the storage area of this furniture store was that in the front of the store was all the furniture. So people came and they hung out on the furniture and no one left. Like everyone just hung out the entire night. It was like, what is happening? There's so many people <laughs> just hanging out. Um, it was really fun. It was a really fun opening for that. And like, I feel like I, I saw everyone and no one at the exact same time. <laughs> it was really fun. I mean, that's, it's hard to remember that anymore, but that's how art openings always were <laughs> before COVID happened. <laughs> You saw everyone and no one at the same time. <laughs> when it was when it's your opening, you see everyone and no one at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. And like usually, at I get really nervous at public openings. Like I'm actually an introvert at, at heart, and so it's like it's performative for me. So I usually like to find a corner and just like hide in like a strategic corner. <laughs> I couldn't do that, that that night. Like I just it wasn't gonna happen. There was no strategic corner. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty. It was a really epic evening. It was great to see people from so many places. Just like that was the hub. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Well, and to finish up, I'd love to talk a little bit about you serving as Glass Tire's guest editor right now. So if you're listening to this podcast, you may have seen we put out a call for an editor in chief recently. uh, And I see that as being a yeah. And I, I see that as being a very. I mean, prolonged process, you know, trying to find someone who can fit all of those bills. It's it's a high bar. Um, in the meantime, I'm really excited we're working with you as our guest editor, because I mean, for all of the reasons that you just summed up, you know, that Texas Biennial Road Trip is the perfect summary of, you know, having your eyes and your ears to the ground, uh, just on the pulse of the Texas art scene. Um you made perfect sense being as, you know, that's always been your travel and your curatorial work and everything. And you've, you've been writing for us for a while now. Um, and you've been in the job for a little bit, maybe about mid January is when you actually really started. Uh, and you're going to be with us until the end of May. Um, and I'd love, you know, you don't have to say lessons learned necessarily and tell everyone what's been going on, but, 
but I mean, what's it been like to kind of pivot from, um, you know, being the writer behind the scenes who's working to someone who's managing kind of the workflow of a publication? Because this is also something that I don't think you've had a whole lot of experience with, right? No, this is the first time I've ever done it. And honestly, like it's, it's so it's so wonderful to be able to work with you in this capacity because it's a learning curve for me and I um it's interesting too because I'm still writing right <laughs> like I'm working on my Narva series my Eastern Europe series as I'm also editing um and and programming essentially um and so I, I'm like I'm like I've got two relationships with it at the same time happening so it's a little like schizophrenic in some ways but like good um. The learning curve was extreme. And honestly, that first two weeks was really difficult because I am always open to sharing my weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses is that I'm terrible with time and dates, like calendars. I'm just like, (laughs) just tell me where to be and I will be 10 minutes late. Um, Not because I don't, I, you know, I I work really hard to make up for it. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, just like, negotiating the calendar and the content calendar and like when things are coming out and like how much time I need to actually get things up. Like that was, that was a steep learning curve. And that was happening at the same time that I was getting settled at New Mexico state university. So these two very steep learning curves are happening at once. Um, but I have come to really enjoy it. Like yesterday I was, you know, I was um, traveling and I was in the airport working and like getting my Narva series up on the back end. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Like I like deadlines. This is fun. Um, So it's become really fun. It's been really great to work with the writers um, and to be in this capacity working with writers. I've never done that before either. Um, And to understand the amount of work that you do on the back end with glass tire like I yeah that first two weeks I was just like this is so much to manage (laughs) I think I messaged you where I was like do you just work every day (laughs) um I've (laughs) so it's so much content like it's so much content so much happening at once it's so much of like get this up presently while you're planning something for the next two weeks and while you're also thinking three months ahead you know um, it's a, it's a lot and it's, it's really fun. And now that I have my feet under me, <laughs> it's been really fun. And like now, like the, the really fun part starts as well, where it's like, I can think about like, oh wait, I'm in this border region. Who can I bring in to write? Or like, how can I also, you know, give a focus to the Valley, which is where I'm from. And I'm really connected with people there where I can like provide a platform as well. And like fill in these, these sort of these niches where we could, we could have more writers come in from like the peripheral cities as well, which is really something that I I want to do with my time at the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and on that note, if there's anyone listening, who's ever wanted to write for glass tire and for some reason hasn't reached out, you can reach Leslie at guest editor at glass tire.com. You know, we're always open to having new writers and seeing pitches and all that kind of jazz. And, one of the things that I that I always like to try and emphasize to people too, Leslie, you and I had this conversation, but I, I feel like I encounter people whenever I kind of throw that pitch out there. I encounter people who are like, well, you know, I can't really write because people think of writing or contributing to a publication as like, I need to write this review about a show. You know, I need to take on a, a 15th century painter and write like an art history paper. That's not what 
all of what we publish is, you know, we, we publish stuff that's historical. We publish stuff that's hyper contemporary. We publish interviews, we publish videos. We're publishing a podcast right now, just in case you're listening out there and have been like, well, I've wanted to interview this artist who hasn't gotten like adequate attention, like send a pitch in and like, we'll consider it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my border series about Eastern Europe is like such a perfect example of that, right? Like, I'm writing, essentially, I'm writing about culture um, and about place and about my connectivity to culture and place. Um, but it has, it's so far-fetched for like a publication that says it's about Texas, right? And so it's like, yeah, no, Glass Tire has such a wide breadth of what it does. And and it's it's exciting for that reason. And I also think that, you know, writing can be, writing and publishing can be really intimidating. Like once my work is up and out and like online, I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> oh yeah. So, it's so intimidating. And I, so I understand that like the word, you know, writer comes with like a capital W sometimes, but I have to say that like, I have been so grateful for, for everyone at Glass Tire that has mentored me and worked with me as like, I've grown into a practitioner and writer because without good editors, um, I wouldn't have been able to evolve the way that I have. And that's something to think about, too. It's like my job is to help. My job is to work with you and collaborate with you and collaborate with a writer to, you know, really help you find your voice and, you know, evolve. Um, and so, yeah, like it is part of our job to do that. And I, I take that very seriously as well. And so, yeah, if anyone's out there that wants to pitch something, please do. I'm open. It's my job. <laughs> One of many. <laughs> well, and with that, I don't want us to ramble on too long about Glass Tire. Uh, do you have anything, Leslie, before we kind of wrap it up? I want to say thanks for reading. Um, my Narva series has been really well received, and I'm really grateful for that. I didn't know how it was going to be read or if there would be interest. Um, and it's really personal. And it's the first time that I've really put like personal stuff out in the world like that. And it's, I'm really grateful to everyone that has been reading, commenting, messaging me about it, um, encouraging me. It's been really great. So thank you. Well, and thank you listener for listening to our podcast today. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a new art dirt. If you want to learn more about Leslie or read any of her writing that she's been publishing recently uh we will put a link to her author page in the post for this podcast on glass tire so you can find that you could also just find her name probably on uh, an article somewhere and click on it and you'll see all of the past things that she's contributed um again thanks for tuning in Thank you, Leslie, for joining us and for uh, being a part of Glass Tire for these next few months. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We encourage you, listener, to go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.